Welcome to Barry Pirro's Haunted Happenings Podcast, where I share in-depth stories of the paranormal, the supernatural, and the unexplained. So turn off your lights, sit back, and prepare to be scared. Welcome to the Haunted Happenings Podcast. I'm Barry Pirro, and today I'm thrilled to have psychic medium Carla Blaha as my guest. Carla is a third-generation intuitive following in the footsteps of her mother and grandmother. She had her first metaphysical experience when she was just three years old and now works as a full-time evidential psychic medium. Carla is a Reiki master, has certificates in chakra healing, meditation, manifesting through the law of attraction, and angel card reading. She is the host of her own podcast, Believe and Listen, and is the author of the book, Get Your Vibe Back. She has also published over 40 articles on the subject of spirituality. Welcome, Carla. Thank you, Barry. Hello. I'm really excited to have you here today, and I have so many questions that I want to just jump right in. Now, I know that there are a lot of different types of mediums and that you're an evidential medium. What exactly is an evidential medium? It is exactly what it says. It is a medium that produces evidence during the reading that you cannot, as I put it, guess, Google, or surmise. It is not generalities. Oh, your mother's here. She loves you, which we all want to hear. I get that. But we have to produce things you just can't make up. Like that's crazy kind of stuff. What kind of evidence comes up? The craziest things come up. And I always say the most obscure, even if it sounds light and it's small, is actually speaks volumes to the person. Just the other day, I was reading somebody and the spear person was showing me Oreo cookies. So I thought that's a little general. I'm not going to say that yet. And they kept being aggressive about it. So I said to the woman, your father is showing me either an Oreo cookie, a black and white cookie or a whoopie pie. It's my version of this. So it couldn't be that you've ever eaten one because we all have. Do you love them? Do you hate them? Did he love them? Did he hate them? And she said, oh my gosh, my kids and I just finished a bag of Oreo cookies this afternoon. But her next response was, well, why would he? And she she was shocked. And then she said, why would he say that? And she kind of went into her left brain. And I said, because how would I know that? He is around you. And that's the kind of stuff that I love to get. In my introduction, I mentioned that you got your start, your first metaphysical experience when you were just three years old. Tell me about that. Well, I wish I could say I remember it extremely clearly. It was, I do remember it, but my parents told the story for so many years that that's how it's instilled in me. Apparently they took me, which was rare to take the child to a brunch at a hotel slash restaurant in, in Connecticut that was very old and historical. And the funniest thing is that they, you know, children should be seen and not heard. Why was I even taken at that age? It's not like them, but they did. And I remember it because I was anxious and I ran around in circles. And I do remember feeling anxious there, saying the stairs aren't here anymore. Where is the fireplace? It just kind of funneling out of my mouth. My parents were completely humiliated that their daughter was behaving in such a way until the manager pulled them over and talked to my parents and said, I want to tell you something. The staircase was there in the original home. The fireplace, we covered it. She's right. She's touching the wall where it was covered, 
And that started out with the, oh, Carla's just like her grandmother. And then the stories began after that. It almost sounds like a reincarnation thing. It's almost as if you were there when it had those things, when it had the staircase. Absolutely. And that's why I think I refer to it as my first metaphysical experience, because I don't know what that meant to this day, but it was kind of cool. And you wonder, you know, why did your parents take you there? I know you mentioned being young and like, why would they take you? But also maybe it wasn't a coincidence that you were brought to that specific place to relive that and to connect with it. That's really interesting. Were you always comfortable talking about your abilities with your friends and family? Uh, Yes, I hear most people were not. But I didn't know as a young child, really, that these were abilities or even as a teenager. It was again, you're like your grandmother and my mother could do it. It was kind of just normal. It was not, they didn't enhance it, but they didn't stop it either. What about your friends? Did they think it was really cool? Were you giving them messages and they thought this was really cool? I was the go-to girl to find out if someone's boyfriend was any good. So they'd be, go as Carla, she knows. But we didn't really, you know, in our our minds say, oh, Carla must be psychic. So she knows. They'd be like, Carla just knows things. So I'd be like, yeah, I don't like him. Hey, he's all right. Did you ever get messages? Like even back then when you were a teenager, did you see spirits around people or sense spirits around your friends and give them messages or want to give them messages, but maybe hold back? I would call it a vibe. I don't remember seeing, because I've only actually physically seen three spirit people, I think three or four maximum in my life. I see them in my head. I would have intuitive hits about people and their personalities and more things like that than their dead people. I mean, it certainly had some prior to me being a medium. I had had dreams and I'm not a dreamer, but I had had dreams of people visiting me and me knowing people had passed. But I would say that I wasn't at a younger age doing that. So when did you start to get the sense that there are spirits around people and be able to get those messages? I knew they were there. I just was never able to get it. So I was fascinated by mediumship, but I studied it and I read every single book there was, but that was for the special people. It wasn't for me. I started reading cards in 1993 while I was the school teacher and I, they actually were prohibitive to me. A card was holding me back and I never knew why. I went and I studied early on in the 90s at the Edgar Casey Institute. Again, those that got dead people were special, not me. It wasn't until I had a traumatic event where someone died in front of me that I actually, I felt that that moment became a medium and then began to study. And that was, as I said, 13 years ago. What was that experience? What happened there? It was crazy. I mean, one of these things that I, I have the life that people think if, that, if I didn't have witnesses, people would think I made it up. An old friend had re-entered my life I hadn't seen in decades, hung out with her a couple of times. And somehow I ended up being in the room, the hospital room when she died. And I had to take every book I've ever read and all my metaphysical experiences and tell her to go into the light and all my knowledge. And I had not been working then. I was raising children <laughs> and I crossed her over. And at that moment, I heard in my head, you're now a medium. And I honestly thought I'm sleep deprived. I've just watched somebody die. Why am I in this room and not somebody else? I'm I'm cracking up, basically. That's what I thought. I was losing it. And I actually then saw her physically come out of her body, like in a flash, clairvoyantly, because she hadn't apparently quite died. They said, you're talking too much. She won't die. Again, I thought I was having a breakdown, honestly. And I crossed her back over. And at that moment, I heard it again. And a week later, I met a medium, coincidentally, and I started studying. I went back into reading cards. And within no time, I was doing a a group mediumship. 
within wow. no time. But I continued to study and I sat in on a group with somebody every month for a year and then took classes for years while working as a medium. That voice that you heard, I know you didn't hear it audibly, yeah. but did you get a sense of who it was or do you now think it was your spirit guide or you just don't know who that was? I honestly don't know. I did not hear it audibly. It was in my head, almost as if when I get messages now, when I hear something in my head, but it's again, not hearing voices. It's more than a knowing, it's a statement. So if I'm in a reading and I get a downright statement, I'll tell my sitter, this was a statement in my head. And then I, I, when I went that week or two later, when I met a medium, he brought through that spirit person. And then he said to me, I'm supposed to tell you I'm passing the torch to you. <laughs> we'll see if I can do this. So. Do you get those persistent, ask about this, ask about this, and you push them away until you're like, okay, I'm supposed to ask you about that. Do you get those persistent oh. messages? Only in a reading. I don't get them much out when I'm shopping or at parties. I've learned to flip a switch. I guess I did it naturally as a child and I could flip a switch or sometimes I actually bring down like a theater curtain in my head and I'm like, not right now, but in a reading. Yes. And especially when something I don't want to say it happened in a reading yesterday, I kept hearing bluebird, bluebird, bluebird. And I don't like to offer trendy, nothing wrong with them, but I don't like to offer <laughs> pennies, rainbows and birds. I, I don't. And they're legitimate. <laughs> they're just in my world, I prefer not to do that. Finally, I heard it so often from this person's mom that I was reading. I said, okay, I'm just going to say it. Bluebird. She was like, oh my gosh. And thank God I said it because that was the nickname she called her mother in spirit. A bluebird had landed on something the day before. And she said, hi, mom, I know you're my bluebird. So if I hadn't have said it, I would have missed a great opportunity for healing. So in a reading, I do get sometimes pesky messages that I yeah. need to say. You are obviously really gifted. Do you think everyone's gifted in this way and it's just not developed? Or do you feel like you have a special gift? I do think it's a gift as in a present I've been handed and not to take lightly, not like I'm gifted. I do feel much like singing, and this is the analogy I use all the time. I do believe we all have a sixth sense. Do I believe we all can connect to our spirit people? Absolutely. But from my experience, I don't feel that everybody is meant to do it equally. Some are meant to do it for a living. Some are meant to help people. Again, singing, you can sing in the shower or you could sing on Broadway and there's a lot in between. You <laughs> all can sing. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what I think about mediumship and intuition. You should all be vibing, quite yeah, frankly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you gave us a kind of a hint before about what it's like for you to receive these messages. But what is it like when you're getting a message from a spirit? You're not audibly hearing you mentioned, but what is it like? I either have a knowing and I feel all of my messages. I don't feel them in my solar plexus. I feel them in my chest. That's where I scan for everything. So I know that's unusual. So I can either do it through clairsentience or claircognizance, any, you know, of the clairs. I can even taste things. They come in different forms for me during a reading and the different clairs have developed for me at different times over the years, some stronger than others. And some of these are symbols and pictures and things like that, words, I, I imagine? Now, that's a great question. I feel like I've built a suitcase, as they say, of symbols. So when I see a swimming pool, I now know that means, yes, maybe a swimmer, but could it, it could be a lifeguard. It could mean chlorine or chemicals. It doesn't have to mean the obvious swimming pool. I, same with a fire hydrant. I get that for a plumber, not just a fireman or sometimes a flood. 
I have learned what means what to me over the years, and I give it to them. And I'm always open to receive new symbols, meaning new things. It's kind of interesting that you're talking about cards holding you back. And those are really symbolic. I read tarot cards and also Lenormand cards, and Lenormand cards especially, and it's all about symbols. And I know that that work is about symbols. I mean, it really is about symbols and finding out what they mean, because what they mean to you and me they may mean something totally different to the uh, person that you're reading for, which is why I understand that you really do have to ask questions. I imagine that you have clients that don't want to say anything. They don't want to give too much away. And really, that's not the way to receive a reading. It kind of works both ways because you have people that offer so much that I have to say, please don't, because then it does get in my way. I'm like, did I make that up? Did I, Mm -hmm. did you say they had leukemia? So I I often say in my emails, please do not tell me anything more because someone may may send me an email that says, my father died. I want to connect to him. I'm like, oh, stop right there. And then there's the people that I could really write a book about and kind of already am (laughs) uh, that are so resistant and so reserved that it does not help in a reading. I do ask that my clients validate what I'm saying. I have trouble giving the message like the Oreo cookies. I needed her to validate that. She had to tell me either yes or no, if that was something to withhold. And I get not wanting to tell people a lot. I I honestly, and you shouldn't. However, holding back and being the opposite, then you're actually turning the reading in a negative direction that I'm not getting accurate information. I've gone up to people in groups. I'll never forget this. And I went up to a woman with arms crossed. You know, that's always one of those signs when their (laughs) arms are crossed and their lips are cursed. And I said something to the effect of, I think it's an uncle, Joseph. It was kind of a common name, but he was a police officer. And she was like, no, no, no. You know, the usual, it was a group. So I attempted to walk away until I got pulled back. I said, no, I'm sorry. I know that it is. Can you tell me where this goes? Her response was, oh, well, that's my husband's uncle. Joseph is a police officer. (laughs) But she shot me down to the point of no return. That wasn't her person. So she was shut down. And I went back, I delivered a quick message, and then I moved because I couldn't have that kind of resistance, especially in the group. Well, that brings me to the question I was going to ask before. Do you often get more than one spirit trying to connect with a person at a time? Is there sort of a line of spirits waiting to get their turn? Yes, yes, and yes. (laughs) What I've noticed as readings have changed for me virtually, and I do more less in person over this time that we've been at home. I get more people, singular people. I hold them for longer. Prior to that, I could get five or six people at a time and have to juggle them. And it was hard for me to put them in a line. I could get them a little bit back, but they would come in at once and they jump around. So I've gotten better at that. But yeah, many people. And the thing is, you'll get somebody significant for somebody. And then you're going to get maybe a pet. And then their husband's aunt who you never knew. So you're kind of having to deal with a bunch of people in a different connection levels. And I imagine when you're doing group readings and like, and you have an audience, you're being pulled in a direction, but you don't quite know who it's for. I would imagine that you have to sort of put a message out and say, I don't know who this is for, but I'm getting this and kind of have the audience help you with that. Often it is over the years since I started out pretty quickly within months doing groups, platform work became very easy for me. 
But when you when you're talking about whether there's 50, 75, 100, or 150 people in the room, if you have a Joseph, say that's a police officer, you might have more than one. Yeah. You know, or someone who has leukemia, you're likely to have more than one. So what I learned to do is have the people listen and take the pieces that worked for them, or and or I can go to a separate part of the room and say, I know that it's here. And if there's people here who have that, I don't feel this is yours right now. And I will point to the I'll go to a row. And then if they're resistant, then that can be a problem Um, because I know it's there. I know it's there. You mentioned that you had seen a couple ghosts, spirits in your life. And I have too, which is really cool. But do you ever, during your readings, you ever see auras or orbs or any visual things? I don't, for the most part, I do not. No, auras is not, are not something I can see an aura. I've done, I've taken, I've taken every class there is. You see it around your hands and see it around other people but it's not my specialty. So I don't. Now this is in another direction and you had mentioned, I think this before, but have you ever smelled unusual odors like perfume or cigarette cigar to give you an idea who the spirit is? During readings, I will say I smell a cigar, but I don't actually smell it. Hmm. It's weird. I know to say it, I haven't smelt it. Have I smelt it in my life? A handful of times. What I do now consistently, and I never did, is I taste things. That's almost in every reading now. And I never used to have that ability when I started. I didn't ask for it. (laughs) It just happened. (laughs) That's an added bonus. When did you start that ability? I'd say about four years ago, give or take. And it just gets stronger all of the time. So it's in almost every reading, as I said. It's crazy. Well, I imagine that must come in handy because people do associate things with tastes. And, you know, there are people whose favorite thing was apple pie. And, you know, you've got to say those things. And again, you've got to say, I don't know if this means anything to you, but I keep getting the taste of apple pie here. That's interesting. I've never heard of people who've had psychic tastes before. We used to call it Claire Gustin's. I don't know. There's a lot of new names for the Claire's, apparently. <laughs> and I think there's Claire Leans, um, which is smell that used to be Claire Gustin. So I, I don't know what it's called now, but there was a name for it. And the odd thing is, if it's a taste I don't like, it doesn't bother me in a reading. Mm-hmm. So I'm not offended by the taste or saying, oh, I, I don't want to taste this. <laughs> I just know that's what it is. <laughs> yeah, it's another way of getting a message out there. Yeah. I wanted to ask about your client's they're coming for a purpose. Usually they want to connect with someone specific. And as we both know, that doesn't always happen. Somebody else comes through. But is it mostly relatives that come through to these people? Is it usually a relative or does sometimes somebody odd comes through that they wouldn't expect? It is definitely all types of people come through. I do not just get relatives. I remember doing a group where one of the sitters, third grade she was in third grade at one school, the nun principal is what opened up the door for the reading, gave me her name, told me she was a nun, and it was the principal of her elementary school. So I always say, I'm not sure who's going to open the door. We don't have to let them stay if they're not significant, but let them do a drive-by high, if you will, and let's see who comes in. Because it's like Halloween, in my opinion. When you shut the lights off and close the door, the trick-or-treaters know not to come. So if I shut the door to spirit, in my experience, they stop showing up. So I have to let the people do their drive-by highs. I think the media, which I love, but has made it look like it's a phone call. And sometimes it does look like a phone call. In all honesty, all of a sudden you connect with the spirit and then you have them. But with all the editing of the TV shows, 
I had to fight that years ago when all those medium shows came out because my sitters would be like, okay, can you get to my father, please? And then they expect me to be like, okay, hold on. I've got him. Wait, he, he's coming. And it was very hard to get past what it looked like on TV and me to say, this is not edited. This is real time. We're going to have right. a couple minutes here to prove my validation. So I know that I have your spirit person. Yeah. Yeah. It takes time. I know that spirits often want their relatives to know that they're okay on the other side. We always hear that. And that's sort of a typical thing. And I'm sure that that's a real thing. But do spirits sometimes give the living advice? Did you ever get that sort of a message? I do, but not a lot. And I don't know if that's because of my training or my philosophy. I have a belief system that we have our path and we're supposed to learn and make our own mistakes. So I do believe spirit can assist when they're, in my opinion, allowed to. And I have had some profound messages in that regard. Mostly it is letting them know they're around and what they're doing, what the, you're, the living are doing. And we see you. And yes, we love you. And here are some details. But I have had some shocking things. People come back and tell me, even the small thing. I, I had a client. I told him, your dad says you're going to get poison ivy. I said, he's, and he, meanwhile, the man's for a living works on the road, on actual asphalt. I said, please, he says, you're going to get it really bad if you are not careful like in the next two weeks. <laughs> I had to laugh. The client texted me, well, I didn't take your advice or my father's advice. I'm covered in poison ivy. And he had to go get steroids. It was a whole thing. So it wasn't earth shouting, but it was an interesting thing that the spirit person was allowed to tell me. So I guess they have some knowledge of the future or what's going to happen. I wondered if anybody ever gave you a warning about, you know, don't go out with that person or watch out for that person or... Well, there's one thing that I got with health. No, I'm not supposed to do health. I will share that one in a minute because that was profound. But I have had people, spirit people say to me, I'm not crazy about so-and-so. Not a lot because, again, you, I feel you have to learn. Maybe some other mediums get it all the time. But I definitely have had them saying they're not loving that person <laughs> or things like that. But I feel we're supposed to learn. I, my, one of my most profound experiences, and I, it's one I've not forgotten in years, is I had two people come to my home years ago for a reading. And one woman brought a friend. The friend never said I had read her before. And I looked at the woman, I said, I'm being shown, I think it was from her mother, but I'm not sure, drainage tubes on a chest. Now, I was nervous to say that because I didn't know if, honestly, quite frankly, that she had had an augmentation. She didn't want people to know. I didn't see negativity connected to it. And she said, yes, I have tubes right now. And I said, okay. And she said, I didn't tell you this before, but you read me in a group and walked by me and said, apparently I stopped in front of her and said, please get a mammogram. It's precautionary, but you'll be all right. And I don't do medical. I have no memory of this. She was 37 or 38. And she said, the only reason I got a mammogram was because you stopped and you told me to. And I had second or third stage breast cancer and I'm fine now. And I came to let you know that. It took me about three days to get over because I was so shaken about yeah. that. I almost don't want to be able to know to do that. I'm glad it helped her, but I don't feel it was me. I feel someone gave me that. And in the, the reading at my home, it was her mother. I believe it was her mother. Wow. I'm still speechless on that. Have you ever helped locate a missing person or worked with the police to solve a crime? I have never worked with a police department. I did study with Tony Stockwell an intensive weekend on psychic detection in hopes that I would do that. I realized after that studying, it was not cut out for me. Though, 
I am willing and have helped people who have contacted me for a missing family member. I have had a missing person. It was interesting. So I, I've done it and I've given them my symbols. Apparently, when you work with police, they don't just take what you say. They pull it together with other information. So if I were to get a body of water, they don't necessarily check the closest one. They may check somewhere. But I did do um, some contact clients contacted me about a missing girl. And I said, I felt that she was still alive, which is so scary because, you know, who am I to say that? And then I felt she was in Queens. And she was found at LaGuardia Airport alive within the week. But I didn't see the airport. I heard Queen. And I had another one where a woman came and said her brother-in-law was missing. And she was very hyperactive on it. I said, I think he's alive. And I told her the truth. I said, I think he was part of the plan to leave. I don't think he was kidnapped. And she was furious with me. All to find out later that it was all over the news and that he was part of the plan to leave. And did die, but it was three months later. And she went back and told somebody how inaccurate I was because I said he was alive. I said, well, he died three months later. He was alive. (laughs) How is that inaccurate? Yeah, that's what I thought. Uh, (laughs) But she was mad at me because I had said he had had part of it. And she didn't want to believe that. I'm always willing to help. And I was even called for the Jennifer Dulos case by a newspaper twice. Because I'm wow. so into that case. I have so much imagery, so much about that case. I cannot wait until it's solved because I have imagery and things I've written down. But it's not my lane, I'm going to say. I will always help, but it's not my specialty. Yeah, that is a tough one. That's a tough one. There's a lot of responsibility there to give those messages. And people are really hanging on your every word about their loved one's safety. And they want to know. And if you're giving symbolic information and it's they will do what happened in that case that you're talking about, they'll jump down your throat because yeah, they get shooting, what they wanted. The, shooting the messenger. I remember when I was studying, they gave us just points to remote view a location and say something about it. Now, I don't have a great grasp of the globe. I don't know where I was during geography in school, but I just really don't. I heard in my head, Key West, small birds. Those are the only things I wrote on my paper. Key West, small birds. It turns out it was the Canary Islands. So my small birds and my idea or my symbol was Key West. But if the FBI was following what I said, they'd be at a bird sanctuary in Key West. (laughs) Uh, But it was really the Canary Islands. But I did learn, like I said, they work with other people and they pull other information together. It was just an interesting area to study, to add as a, I don't know, another log in the fire, as they say. It was just for my knowledge. Yeah. And all of those are learning experiences. You know, when you get that and you say, oh, now I know what some of these symbols might mean. You know, in the future, if you get another symbol that's sort of a combination of things, you're not so quick to jump to a conclusion with it. You could say, hmm, I'm I'm not sure what this means. And I think that's fair. I always think that's fair to say to a client or to be heard, because I've had readings done for me, for someone to say to me, I don't know what this means, but I'm just going to say it. And maybe this means something to you. I think that's fair because we don't know what some of these symbols mean. Absolutely. I agree. I say that frequently. This is what I'm hearing. What what sense can you make of it? We always hear about relatives giving really loving messages, but have you ever encountered an angry spirit, such as the spirit of an irate husband or wife who just wanted to tell a person off? 
I personally have not had anybody tell anybody off angrily. I have a philosophy that if you're crossed over, you vibrate to a higher energy, maybe not to an angel or a floating on the cloud, but to a higher vibration than we do here. However, I have had people who were kind of stuck in their own stuff. So they hadn't really advanced as far as they would like without the help of connecting to their loved one and trying to work things out. Do you think there's any length of time that you have to wait to connect with a spirit? I, from my experience, and I know you'll probably hear different answers, for me to make a connection with a spirit person, that the length of time they've passed is not prohibitive to me. It's not. Why find that people who have lost people maybe shouldn't get a reading right away. They have to be in a certain frame of mind. But I, I have a, an interesting story where I was doing a public group and uh, not at a home. It was in a venue. And I went up to a woman and asked her about a specific female. And she said, well, that sounds just like my aunt, but she's still living. So I kind of paused. And since it was a group, I said, OK, maybe I'm connecting into that. Or your spirit people are acknowledging that she's not in great health because she had shared some things. And I moved on to the back of the room. And I noticed her within about 10 minutes because she was on her phone and she was touching it. And that bothers me in a group, but she didn't bother me. I saw her face and I thought I knew, I almost knew right away, but I thought this can't be. She meekishly raised her hand and said, my sister just texted me. Our aunt died 30 minutes ago. Wow. (laughs) So I must've made that connection to the aunt, like within minutes of her dying. And that was in front of a crowd of people. You can't make it up. We were all just stunned. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that's incredible. You had mentioned before, I mean, and I know this, you have people that are skeptical and that's just how people are. It's sort of their nature. And some people go into readings, I'm sure, skeptical, even though they want the reading. They, you know, you mentioned about the crossed arms, but how do you handle skeptical clients? Well, differently now than I did 10 years ago, I can tell you that when I throw in a few people out. I do like skepticism. I like healthy skepticism. I don't prefer when someone, if I just say I've got a man here and they're like, that's my father. And you know, I don't, I need, I need to reach a bar and they should expect that I reach a bar. So that being said, healthy skepticism is fine. If it's too skeptical, honestly, and if it gets in the way of me being able to read, I'll stop a reading. Because it's you're wasting, and not in a nasty way, but both of our time. If you can't accept this reading, you have to be open-minded to some degree. Because I have seen more than one person be in tears in a reading with amazing evidence. But the minute they stand up or shift into the outside world of the reading, they shut back down. I mean, one person was kicked the table and I had to actually be escorted outside because I was afraid she would come back after me. She was so livid. I mean, it's incredible that people shut down. So you're right. Without some open-mindedness and accepting that this is real, you shouldn't even have a reading, but you should have a bar that you're not hearing, oh, there's an old person here that loves you. You need more than that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, This is sort of an odd question, but have you ever connected with a celebrity or some famous person? Actually, I have. And the I think spirit knows the only way to do this is to not let me know who you are at first. And my first one that I remember, and it's the funny, it was so funny to me because I thought it. I was reading in Manhattan and I said to the, the gentleman, I'm hearing Selena. 
And he says, yes. So of course I think it's must be a relative or a friend. (laughs) And I said, I don't mean to be facetious, but she does say she can sing. So I, and right away my hand went up. I said, I'm not saying it's the celebrity. What I'm telling you is this Selena had singing talent. She knew your daughter, your daughter has singing talent. And the gentleman kept saying, yes, Selena, yes, Selena, like that. I thought he was validating the name. And we almost got into like a funny argument because he kept saying, it's Selena. I said, I know it's Selena, but she says your daughter, but I meant, I know it's Selena. This must be a relative. But he said, I have to stop you. I was in the opening band for Selena. I knew Selena, the singer. She knew my daughter. And I I cracked up because I fought this man that it couldn't have been Selena. Right. We finished the reading. It was my lunch break, I guess. I went outside. He was on the phone calling people, talking about it. And I looked at him like, wow. And I left and I went to a deli to get lunch. And when I walked in the door, the radio said, Selena, windows and doors. And it was an ad for something named Selena. I thought that was the coolest thing. I also brought uh, Jimi Hendrix through. Gratefully, I don't know much about, except the obvious, about Jimi Hendrix. I was reading someone who at the time was working on the documentary for Jimi Hendrix, and I knew that. So when Jimi Hendrix came through, I said, please give me something that's not common. So I was able to get information that only people on the documentary knew about him. Wow. So therefore, it was. I don't think it ever aired, actually. I always share the story because I will be happy to bring a celebrity through, but it can't be somebody that I you know, could read about in a magazine and know too much about. Exactly. Yeah. No, that's really, that's incredible. I know you've been on TV and the radio before and that you've given readings to people over the phone as well as being an audience. Is there a difference when a person is not in the room with you? Like when you're on the phone with someone and you're giving a reading? Is there any difference? I love phone readings. And currently, that's mostly what I do currently are phone readings. I, When I train people, I ask them to start on phone readings. Because when you're learning, it's difficult to rule out the roll of the eye, the cross of the arms, and even what's pictures in the background. I mean, there's telling things around people if you're at their home or if you're doing a Zoom. And then you have to rule those out while you're trying to connect to spirit. So I actually think phone, especially beginning, is easier. Now, in a group on a platform, I thrive off the energy of an audience. I thrive with them. They thrive with me. And it works very well like that. So for me, not a difference at all. So when you've done radio before, I imagine, right? Yes. And have you had people call in and you do readings that way? That's a great question. I don't do as well on the radio live because, and I learned this through my own podcast, I would get information for somebody that A, they choke or they don't understand it and they can't get it at the minute. And I get that, but then it looks like I'm inaccurate and I'm feeling, I, I could be inaccurate, I have to be right, but often I know that I am accurate. And then I will finish and I will get emails and they will spell it out. It was so-and-so that said so-and-so that was my aunt, that was my grandmother, and they were on hold. So I find doing things like that are very hard in an audience where they're in front of me that I can say, okay, I'll be right over to you. But on a radio with a live call or a podcast or my TikTok, very hard to do evidential mediumship for me. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. And you do have a line of people waiting. So you wouldn't know who it is. I could see that that would be a problem. And I see also, because this has happened to me, where you could give a reading and it wouldn't mean anything right away, but maybe a week later it would. And then you have no way of knowing about that. So that is really tricky business when people can't give you that feedback right away. I totally understand that. 
of all the readings that you've given, is there one in particular that's special to you, one that you think about a lot? The story I just told you about the woman who passed 30 minutes before is a big one of mine. But I love when people give me the continuity of life. So for example, I call this, well, we call it the gum chewing one. I was reading a woman in California and her, I was bringing through her sister who passed. Her sister in spirit showed me that, that her sister during the wake or the funeral had chewed gum and was a wise guy and actually going to stick it on the casket. And I, and I thought, well, this, you know, again, you think this is crazy. I must be wrong. You know? So I said to her, your sister is talking, wants you to know that she knows about the gum and the chewing of the gum. She's like, are you kidding me? And it was the funniest thing. So now when she emails me for a reading, she's like, I'm the gum chewing person, you know, and things <laughs> like that. So funny little things. I remember there was one, he lived in Florida and I was reading the whole family and he showed me sand. And I said to him, are you kidding? If you think <laughs> I'm going to offer sand, I'm not doing it. And then in my head, I saw him put it in what looked like a little envelope or paper. And I mean, he tapped his chest. And he went like this and he showed me his casket, but he tapped his chest. So I sent it to them and they said they had taken sand from his favorite beach, put it in an envelope and put it in the breast pocket of his jacket for him to be buried with. Those kind of things I remember. So someone else might remember something different, but to me, there's no way I could have known that. So when I'm given that, I'm like, wow, thanks for that information. You know, I'm, I'm happy that I'm given that. You mentioned your podcast. Tell us about your podcast. Uh, it's called Believe and Listen with Carla Blaha. I don't do them live anymore because of what I said with calls and not being able to read. So I use topics and I have guests and I, I like it. I think it's a wonderful form. Well, you are an amazing reader. I know that. How can people get in touch with you for a reading or for some of the other services that you have? My website is carlablaha.com. I also have a link tree. My new name is Keep Vibing with Carla. So under that, you can find my book, you can find my website, my TikTok, everything is under Keep Vibing with Carla and Linktree. And again, you can contact Carla Blaha by going to Keep Vibing with Carla at Linktree. The address is in the program notes. I encourage everyone listening to contact her for a reading. And Carla, I hope to talk to you again real soon. Well, Barry, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me. I very much enjoyed it. So yes, okay. let's talk soon. If you're enjoying the podcast, please follow me and leave a comment. To contact me, use the email address listed in the program notes. I'm Barry Pirro, and this is Haunted Happenings.